0: Hey, everybody. Tom Glock and Keith Jones with you. I have recovered, I think. Keith, that was a fun night at New uh, Campbell Stadium when Florida State gets the win. And I'd say
1: thrilling fashion, actually. It was a really good night. It, it was. And, you know, for all of my uh, consternation uh, from last week, um, sitting there, what, halfway through the second quarter, uh, I'm thinking it was justified. Uh, But then you watch this team for the second consecutive game come back out after halftime. I know offensively they didn't put points on the board in the third quarter. All that came in the fourth quarter. But second consecutive game where the defense pitches a shutout in the second half, um, you never saw a panic. You know, you never saw uh, folks getting in each other's faces on the sideline, coaches getting upset. Um, But there was an energy. There was a there was a passion. There was an edge uh, that candidly um, needed to beat the show, uh, and that was certainly evident uh, in pregame and, and the beginning of the ball game. Um, so it's a good win. Now it, it's it, it, it's against Duke, and for those of us that have been around for a while, we're going to poo poo that because Duke's never beaten Florida State, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Jordan Travis said it best after the ball game uh, when he said, "I don't I don't care if people believe." This is a really good Duke football team. Yeah, well, that's—I
0: didn't hear that he said that. I got home late and haven't even listened to to all the post game. But that's—it's it, not your granddaddy's Duke, right? No, I mean this is a – and you didn't go to the ball game in an oldsmobile. <laughs> Keith Jones got jokes, folks. I thought from the beginning of the week, Keith, and this goes to what Duke has been historically this was a no-win situation for Florida State from a national perception perspective. Because if you beat Duke 100 to nothing, the narrative is, well, it's just Duke. They're not any good. And if you lose to them, the the narrative is, well, Florida State's not nearly as good as we thought. And, uh, and Duke's okay, but still they lost to Duke. And then you had the wrinkle of the quarterback not being healthy. And that's what this narrative is going to be because Florida State was still trailing when Riley Leonard went out of the game. Now. Is Duke more competitive down the stretch if he's in there? Yes. Does Florida State still win the game? In my opinion, yes. That that tide had had turned and or was turning in the second half anyway, and so I'm confident Florida State still wins. But well, I know what the, the, that the perception is going to be that it was just because the Duke quarterback wasn't 100. percent Now the the likelihood, maybe not likelihood, but I think there's a pretty good chance that's who's FSU is going to face in Charlotte. Duke controls its own destiny. They play both Louisville and North Carolina, and North Carolina lost yesterday. Louisville already has a loss. I mean, if Duke wins out in the conference, they're going to be the other team that's in Charlotte, and Riley Leonard will be 100% healthy in that scenario that they went out, and FSU will see him again in Charlotte.
1: Well, the downside for Coach Elko, that, that, what he has to manage against, is if you continue to use uh, Riley, uh, there's always that chance that he will reaggravate that ankle until it gets fully healed, and and I don't envy that balancing act that he has to to um, that tightrope he has to walk. Um, if you go back and watch in the second half, there were there were multiple times when when Riley would go up to the head coach because ABC was focused on it, and he'd go, "I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready," and you could literally see Elko couldn't read his words, couldn't read his lips, saying, "No, you're not," and then just see the 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 disappointment in the body language because he wanted to go back out there, and that's the competitor that he is, but a injured or a not hundred percent quarterback um doesn't do this Duke team very much good when he's at full speed, he runs this offense very, very effectively.
0: I had thought all week that they would not play Leonard because of the fact that if he wasn't mobile, he wasn't the same guy. Now, he played pretty pretty well, but honestly, it only took, I think it was the second time they got to him. One time he ran and he got tackled and he was fine. And and really the first time they got pressure on him is when his ankle crumbled. And uh, I hope for his sake that he is okay, but you're right. I mean, that could be a case of, you know, one step forward and now a half a step back or a full step back. We just don't know. Well, let's, let's get to the, the way this game unfolded, Keith. Do you want to talk about Duke's offense with Leonard first, or you want to just talk about the flow of the game, or how do you want to start?
1: Let's start with the flow of the game, because what, what, what good teams trying to become great teams do is they come out starting fast when you're in a hostile environment. And, and that's exactly what Duke did. I mean, they ran the ball uh, you know, up and down the field early on. Now, FSU eventually made some adjustments, and obviously with uh, Riley Leonard out, you know, that changed a little bit of the dynamic, but it was a really, really good game plan. It was really well executed. Defensively, which is the strength of this Duke ball club, uh, you know, they got the pick six. They continued to frustrate Florida State. Uh, I, I think in particular on the throw that uh, Jordan Travis threw that was intercepted, you know, he he was feeling the need because he was backed up. It was on a third down. He was feeling the need to make something happen and threw a ball that he probably should not have, should not have thrown. Uh, Duke took advantage of it. And so you're sitting there, you know, down two scores, and you wonder, is this team going to have the resolve that we've expected of them and have seen in occasion? Um, but Duke had everything right where they wanted it to be uh, there in the early couple through possessions
0: they certainly did and i had i felt all week that this matchup was about the offense not the defense right which is not to say the defense played lights out early on they didn't they had a they completely lost the edge on that touchdown run that right. gave duke the lead initially the defensive end lost the edge then there was a holding call that wasn't called on on duke in that scenario and then the corner also lost the edge though i really think that points back to the defensive end not setting the edge to begin with but Um anyway, the the offense, I I I felt like this game was going to be uncomfortable. Throughout the week, I just kept playing out in my head, and I uncomfortable is the word that came to mind. But when I say it was it was more on the offense, this is what Duke does. They go on five and six minute drives. They 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 get it to second and short or, or second and manageable, third and short, and they keep turning the chains over and they bleed the clock, and if they get a lead, that works against you, and and that's exactly what happened. It took Florida State a while to right the ship, but to me, and we've seen it from the offense every game this year, there's just that two- or three-drive period where they turn it over or they have to punt, and and that's when things start to slip away. Now, that that said, so let's, let's go back. So Duke, well, Florida State lost the toss, so they received the ball, moved the ball pretty well until you got to fourth and one, I didn't have a problem with that call. It was sort of a no-man's land between punt and field goal. It was on the 35 or something going in. seemed pretty obvious they would go for it there. But I think the biggest thing that has astounded me this year is I really felt like with the new offensive lineman that FSU brought in that short yardage was not going to be an issue this year, but it's been every bit the issue that it was a year ago. Uh, there, there's no reason Florida State shouldn't be able to pick up a fourth and one, but they couldn't, and then that was the first turnover of the game, if you will, the turnover and downs.
1: Struggling in the short yardage uh, has been documented. Um, I, I can't – forgive me, I don't remember if it was the first or second of the fourth downs where, you know, I, I think Travis thought he had Duke off, off balance a little bit. They weren't completely set up. I'm not even sure he ran the play that was called the one where he tried to skirt a little bit down the line to the left. If he'd had taken his time, if he'd have taken another second and instead of immediately trying to move the ball forward, done the old step back one step and then gone left, he'd have picked up 20 yards because he could have easily outflanked whoever was there. I just think that the execution was bad. I did not like, sorry, Coach Norvell, I did not like the second time when FSU went for it. Um, I, I know statistically there's probably a justification for it, um, but everybody—I mean, but Duke did the same thing. I mean, uh, th- those two teams combined for 0 for 4 on fourth down. There was there was not a fourth down conversion amongst them, um, and, and particularly early in ball games. Um, I know I know the argument. I accept the argument. Coach Norvell can can make the decision, and there's been times it's proven well. Uh, but the old school, that old book, that leather-bound book, Tommy, I still have up on that third shelf, you know, says that, you know, particularly first two, three, four series of the ball game. Uh, you know, be very, very careful on fourth down.
0: Yeah, so it was the, the first drive of the game is the one where Travis kept it and didn't get there. I didn't think that was the greatest spot in the world either, but Mike Norvell values his timeouts and – it's not that you you don't throw a challenge flag like in the NFL, but he couldn't call the timeout to give him a chance. In theory, they they review every play. I don't know that you would have gotten a, a, a different call on that. Um, but they went nine plays and 39 yards and then turned it over on downs, and it was at the 36-yard line. So then Duke comes back, and uh, they hit the long one around the left side. Did you see anything other than the way I described that one in terms of their initial touchdown?
1: And, and Florida State struggled all game long with setting that edge um duke's tight ends uh did a very good job conversely fsu's did particularly in the second half both catching the ball and blocking um so it was a it was a little bit of a clinic you know if you if you're studying the outside of the defenses you know as opposed to up the middle uh, both teams offensively got into a rhythm and were able to keep uh, the defense from setting that edge but you know, it, it's it's just you shake your head and go, Duke's not supposed to do that because we have this age-old wrong conviction that they're just not good at things. Well, they're pretty daggum good at things right now.
0: They are. Well, I asked Coach Norvell at halftime as he was going into the locker room about what the defense needs to do to hold the edge because Duke was running the ball so well, and he kind of cut me off. and He said, well, we need to set the edge. So that, that tells you what was on his mind as he was going into the locker room. And they were better in the second half. Let let's jump back. So so Duke gets the lead. Let's go to the second fourth down call. And the second one, I agree, Keith. I don't that was not the play right there. And it felt like sort of a microcosm of, of the first part of the game and that FSU was chasing things a little bit. And you have to let the game come to you. So I'll expound on that. The Jordan Travis interception. That was a you just have to take the five yards and punt the football and live for another drive. The Rodney Hill kick return where he brought it out when he was a yard deep and the other guy that was deep told him to stay back. He brings it out and gets tackled at the 15. That's trying to make a play that isn't there. And that's what it felt like when you're going for it on your own 35. And I'll find the yard line, the exact yard line in a moment. Uh, you sometimes you just got to punt and I, and I like being aggressive, but in that scenario, that deep in your own territory, I wasn't in favor of it.
1: I agree. And the other thing, kind of a part of that, uh, what do you make of uh, the fact that they played, you know, quote unquote, the number three and the number four tailback so quickly and so early and candidly so much, I mean, Trey and LT, um, kind of were not the featured backs. I know Tolle had a couple of really nice conversions uh, on one, that particular touchdown, <laughs> pardon me, but they went to the to the number three and number four running backs pretty quickly in this ball game. I don't know if that was by design or by necessity.
0: I think this is where Florida State really misses Trayshawn Ward. Treshawn was a guy that would hit it into the hole. And even if there wasn't a hole, he was the guy that in a phone booth, he could get he could he had a little wiggle or squirm to him and there's no hole and he still comes out of it with three yards. It, Trey Benson is not that guy. Trey Benson is a needs ahead of steam. Uh, now, if he gets ahead of steam, even when there's not a hole, if he's got his momentum going forward, he will fall forward and he will get you three yards. But it, it, if there's nothing there and, and Duke's it, the offensive line's another question, Keith. I mean, I haven't gone back and watched the tape yet, but I mean, there were several times where Trey Benson got the ball and the defensive end was already there. I mean, and that's not on Trey. Uh, maybe those are balls that Jordan should have pulled and we can talk, we'll talk about him running later on. But the offensive line, I guess we can go there now, Keith. They, they lost the battle at the line of scrimmage. I mean, pretty badly, it felt like to me.
1: Well, and I'm trying to not mince my words, but did they lose the battle or did Duke, um, um express their will, Duke stunned a lot. They had a lot of yeah. run blitzes and um and their defensive line, you know, as we've talked about during the week, they go eight, nine, ten deep. They've always got fresh people in there, and they were stunning there were there were there were a couple of uh, really good overhead shots that ABC had where uh, a, a three technique tackle. Not on a not on a passing down but on a three technique tackle would work all the way to the outside, and the defensive end would crash all the way down to the inside, and a linebacker would hit the other and and one of them would come free and they did that what a dozen times half a dozen times during the ball game so was it um Florida state not not performing well was it Duke with a really really good scheme obviously somewhere in between is the answer. Uh, but yes, Duke's defensive line outperformed Florida State's offensive line by a pretty good margin.
0: So it was at the 36. Both of the fourth downs were at the 36. One was one was going in. What was your own 36? Right. Now the defense, the defense did recover there, and and from that point on, played pretty well. I mean, they there were some drives they had trouble getting Duke off the field, but there it was a three and a kick field goal. You really didn't give up any yardage there, but that got it to 10 nothing before FSU started to respond a little bit. And I guess we can go to the bigger point that we, we talk about a lot that feels a little ambiguous and nebulous, but this team has been far from clean down-to-down, possession-to-possession over the course of a game. They've been more clean than not, which is why they're undefeated, but they still have these drives where there's some issues and plays where there's an issue. The one thing they have done every time that they've needed a drive this year is they have put together a drive or they've gotten a stop defensively. And it started in the second quarter against LSU when they were losing in Orlando and it felt like the game was tilting towards LSU and Travis and the team goes down the field and scores. And here, 10-0, they do the same thing. They find a way to put together a really long drive and it and it gets to 10-7 to and the crowd comes back into it. And it's not insignificant that this team is able to do that, and I think a lot of that's a credit to Jordan Travis.
1: I agree. You you mentioned uh, there were there were two very lengthy drives. One in the first quarter, as I'm looking at it, uh, 13 plays, 85 yards, and then the first score of the fourth quarter when Florida State went 96 yards on 14 plays. I mean, those are drives that that illustrate and and demonstrate what this offense can do when they are, uh, executing. Well, um, the, the issue has simply been one of execution, um, 10 guys doing the right thing. And one guy, almost the right thing. <laughs> Again, when you're playing at this level and you're trying to stay undefeated, um, you know, the, the microscope, uh, is very, it's almost a telescope. I mean, and everybody's got their eyeball on it and everybody can see it. And, um, you are sitting seven and oh, Tommy, and you still haven't played well. You've played really good, but you have not played well, particularly on offense.
0: The team feels that way too, less to oh, yeah. fans oh, yeah. It's not like the team is leaving the locker room thinking, uh, oh, well, we, we took care of them. We're really good, you know. They're they're leaving frustrated they're they're pleased and they stay together as a team. There's not finger pointing, but they know they're leaving a lot out there too. Uh no question. So the drive, Keith. It's ten to seven, and then to your point, well, this is this is not a news flash When when Jordan throws this pick six, which was almost at two hundred straight pass attempts without an interception, it had been through the first half against LSU, maybe the first quarter against LSU. Um, Duke, first of all, they don't blitz a ton. They, they do with their their four man front, which is really good, when they do the stunning you're talking about. But in third and long, or in obvious passing situations. They tend to only rush three, and they drop eight, and it's it's a three-man zone deep and five-man underneath, and they're really forcing you to check the ball down, and they're going to roll the dice that they're going to get there and tackle you before you get to the sticks. That's that's what they're doing on third long, and so that that ball got forced to key on. Jordan was still trying to get it to the sticks, and there's really just not room when they got five men across the field.
1: And And again, and Jordan would be the first to tell you, I haven't seen all of his comments after the ball game, but... You know when you're backed up, you know where'd they snap that ball? Six yard line, eight yard line, ten yard line. When you're backed up, um, you know you got to be extra careful. Uh, it's like everything that the quarterbacks get taught. When you when you get nine yards on first down, and then you call a pass play. Well, yeah, you might want to try to take it downfield, but uh, don't take the sack. Throw the ball away so that you got third and one coming up. Well, you're you're backed up. It's third down it's third and long make sure you don't do anything silly with the ball and, and again i think uh, jordan travis would be, would be one of the first to tell you that you know that's the ball he should not throw he should check down throw it out do something other than what he did
0: no and he, w- he would definitely say that let's give some credit real quick to the duke punter because he's the one who flipped the field and you backed up in that situation and then there was a Illegal block at the back on FSU, which took the ball from the 15 or 20 down to the eight. Keith, I don't know that I've seen. By the way, post- that was not
1: a good call. And, and was if I'm running back- down and I lay my hand on your back and I never extend my arm, I don't think that's a block in the black. Because because whoever it was, I, I, I made the comment to myself at the time, they pulled off the block. They put their hand on his back and pulled off of it because they knew it was going to be a mistake. And they still called it.
0: Are you, are you teeing me up to talk about Jeff Flanagan? And his well, you've group
1: mentioned team? it twice already, and you just let it go. So third time, you know, I'm not going to let that 85-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle of the plate go away.
0: If it's an 85-mile-an-hour pitch, is it truly a fastball? Well, that's another another podcast. I was right? just
1: trying to say – it. never mind. Go ahead.
0: Let me finish the thought on the Duke punter, and then we can come back there. These were the top two punting teams in the ACC. MSU's Master Mono is actually ahead of the Duke punter, and MSU's and ahead of Duke in terms of net punting. I don't recall seeing a punter that punted a ball that really looks like it's coming out of a jugs machine, Keith. I mean, it was just a, a line drive missile every time he punted that was a total spot. I don't know that I've seen anybody punt quite like that.
1: Well, with the advent of the Aussie punters, Master Mono in particular, you know, they kicked the ball in the middle of the ball, and, and sometimes the ball is actually rotating just like a kickoff, okay? Well, true punning, if you've ever paid attention to it, you kick the ball off the side of your foot and you create that spiral. And, and there's two aspects of that. If, if that spiral doesn't turn over, if the nose of the ball stays up, when the ball starts coming down as a returner, you need to be a yard or two ahead of where you normally would be because that ball is actually going to rotate back to the offensive line because the nose stays up. And then you've got the missiles, like you're talking about, where the ball's rotating in a spiral, and then the nose turns over. You better get on your horse because that ball is going to have another eight or ten yards on it that you might not be expecting. And we saw that a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> one in particular, Keon was backpedaling, you mentioned earlier is it a rule that you have to catch punts over your head uh, last week. Uh, and he did that and then went to plant and his foot went out from under him and he collapsed, he slipped. So, yeah, that that was an interesting – and, and a contrast in styles between the Duke punter and, and, and Master Mono.
0: Well, well, credit him because that's the reason Florida State was backed up. Now, beat up that far, okay, the block in the back that shouldn't have been I actually felt like Flanagan's crew was was okay, but it, it goes back to this. Keith, you and I have talked about this for a decade or longer since we heard it at the ACC kickoff meeting when Doug Rhodes explained it this way. When in doubt, throw a flag is how he explained it in the officiating seminar. And ever since then, every time I watch college football, I look at plenty of leagues that go the other way and they when in doubt, swallow the whistle, i.e. let them play. And and Jeff Flanagan, I, I mean, we were texting about it as soon as I knew he was on the crew. So, well, here we go. The over-under on FSU penalties is 11 and a half. Now, I think FSU only wound up with eight, although they were tracking well to the over with like maybe <laughs> seven in the first half. But I, I'll put it this way, Keith. There were three holding flags or holding calls against Duke. Which I have not counted it up, but I'd venture to say that's probably equivalent to how many holding how many times holding has been called against FSU opponents all year. And if Jeff Flanagan's crew threw three flags for holding in one football game, how many plays was there really egregious holding? I know there's holding on every play, but Jared Verse got tackled on two or three plays. That first Duke touchdown run, there was a missed hold. Again, I'm not talking about the holding that's on every play. There were some pretty egregious ones, and there had to be if Jeff Flanagan's crew threw it three times.
1: I, I agree. You know, every crew has their reputation. Uh, I would I would really love to have a private conversation with Mike Norvell now that he's fourth year in the league. Uh, he's been around a little bit. He's seen some things. Um, I'd be really interested in what his candid comment would be about uh, how he values the ACC officials. I agree. I think this crew did an okay job in this game. There wasn't anything that was outrageously egregious. And that's the fear that you've instilled in me every time Atlantic crew is working, working a game and justifiably and rightfully so. Um, but yes, there was some missed stuff in there. Uh, fortunately it did not, uh, ultimately, um, affect the outcome because that's what you hate. You hate when the outcome gets affected by something that the referees do or don't do.
0: Keith, because I had nothing better to do, let me just share this with you real quick. And I don't know how the ACC determines which crew does which game, but this was without question the marquee game of the week for the ACC, right? Yep. Florida State and Duke, top 20 game. All right. The games that Flanagan's crew has worked this year, Wofford at Pitt, Charleston Southern at Clemson, Syracuse Purdue, Boston College Louisville, Bowling Green at Georgia Tech, Marshall at NC State, and then they show up for the biggest game in the ACC thus far, Duke at Florida State. That doesn't seem to equate, but I don't know their formula for how they do that. In other words, they haven't been doing even legitimate significant conference games, but they show up for FSU Duke.
1: And folks, you can't get this kind of insight anywhere else than front row knows. um i don't even know how you look that up but congratulations and well done well you,
0: you go through a lot of box scores week by week to see which <laughs> crew they're on and in the case of this crew i started with the worst league game of the week and quite frequently i found them there before you know and then i went to the next week
1: no oh, I, you I, you I, are not going to get a christmas card from the flanagan family you know that right
0: yeah. I mean, i tell you what maybe turned it to. I thought they were okay. Near the end of the game, and, and I don't remember the scenario, Florida State had already taken the lead, was trying to expand it. Pass interference that was called in the end zone. I guess it was when they were still trailing 2017. When the officials conferred for three minutes there, and I thought, oh, they're having a conversation to either say – well, the offensive guy pushed off or the ball wasn't catchable. And I'm thinking, well, it wasn't catchable because he impeded his progress back to the ball for about three seconds, but they stuck with the call. So I was, and I was right there in the end zone. So I was okay with that.
1: Understood. Understood.
0: All right. So Florida state goes into the locker room uh, trailing. I think we've covered the first half there, 20 to 17 Duke comes out and, and, uh, and again, to the point, they, they moved the ball a little bit and they were, they they were going in when Riley Leonard went out. I mean, I don't know recall if they were in the red zone yet, but uh, they, they were going into the end zone when Leonard left the game.
1: That is correct.
0: Florida State gets a stop. Duke would tell you that if Leonard's in there, they're going to find a way to score, and, and that might be true. I, I still feel like the game was turning, though, because you just – this FSU offense, for all its inconsistencies, you're just not going to hold them to 17 points. I mean – they scored 38 points. Oh, I can st- hold up, we didn't give Deuce Span any credit, by the way, but we will. Okay, so we'll finish this thought, and then we'll go back to give Deuce some love. Um, it, 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 you know, they lost the, the, the line of scrimmage. They lost Johnny Wilson late in the game. It wasn't their night, and you look up at the scoreboard, and they have 38 points at the end of the game. And Mike Gilko waved the white flag on that last Duke drive. He stopped throwing the football because he knew if they went three and out, Florida State was going to hand it off six more times and score again and get it into the 40s. Right. So he he, he managed the, the the deficit there, if you will. Um, Is it just from Florida State point of view that FSU was still going to win the game, even if Leonard stays in there?
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, you have to ask that question. I, you know, one of the things we talked about when Florida State was rebounding and as in games and early in Coach Norvell's career, you know, we talked about you got to learn how to not beat yourself. You got to learn how to have some confidence. You got to learn how to play with the lead. Well, remember Duke's doing all these things too. I had an outstanding year last year, on, on track for a good year this year. Um, but also remember a couple of things, Tommy. I don't, I don't know how they look this up, but uh, watching the national feed, ABC said that Duke was leading Florida State in this game for longer game time than the combined times they had led FSU in the prior 20-something ballgames. FSU had, been, has, had led Duke 98% of the time on the clock in the series. So remember, they're learning how to play ahead. They're learning how to play with a lead. That's something they haven't done over the years. Just like FSU struggled with that early in the first couple of years of the of the Norvell uh, uh, regime, um, it's it's a learned behavior. It's it's not something that you know comes. You, you can't read it in a book and then go out and apply it on the game field. You got to learn it. You got experience. Got to be in the middle of it. So I
0: just looked it up, and that is amazing. That speaks to how dominant. It's not that Florida State has just dominated the series. They've dominated every game in the series. The closest one was Jimbo's last year when it was 17-10 in Durham. And David Cutcliffe after the game was mad because he knew that was the weakest FSU team he'd ever seen. He still didn't win the football game that year. I remember his comment about that. So Riley Leonard was sacked, but there was a face mask and it set it up at first and 10 at the 11 is where play continued. So that's where Duke would have been with Riley Leonard. And, I don't know. Is it still a field goal? Do they get a tungsten? We'll never know the answer to that question, if Florida State bows up, whether it's Leonard or not. Again, Duke would argue that that made all the difference in the world. I would argue that Florida State's defense pitched a shutout in the second half again. Uh, yeah, I said they got a field goal. They actually went for it there. And I thought that was the right call. Did you not like that call, Duke? No, I thought, I thought
1: that was the right call for Duke. Um, I, I didn't necessarily like the play call. You know, you've got a new quarterback in. What was that, his second or third snap of Mm -hmm. being in? He has a reputation for being a passer, not a runner. Um, uh, You know, despite the fact he went, what, one for six or one for five, he didn't have much of a showing throwing the ball. Uh, So I I liked the decision. I didn't like the call, just like I didn't like uh, the second uh, call when FSU went forward on fourth down.
0: Yeah, well, if they kick a field goal there, it's still a a touchdown for FSU. Gives FSU right. the lead. It's, it's a, a one it's a one
1: one possession game.
0: Yeah, so I I think it was the right call to go for it. Again, we we will never know on the Leonard question there, so I'll drop it. Uh, what we do know is that Florida State takes over at its own four, Keith. And you don't put together a lot of ninety-six yard drives in a season. I mean, I don't know when the last time Florida State went ninety-six yards was. But I know they needed a 96-yard drive against Duke, and they got it right there. And this is the drive where Florida State unleashed Jordan Travis, and he ran the football again. And all of a sudden, that offense looked like the offense we've been waiting to see when Jordan pulls and runs. He had 40 yards rushing on that drive. He got the touchdown, and Duke didn't know what hit him. It was just Florida State doing whatever they wanted on that drive.
1: Jordan finished the ball game uh, as the leading rusher, by the way, the first time this year. How many times was he the leading rusher in his previous starts? You know, a a high percentage of them. Uh, He finished the game with, um, let's see here, 10 attempts, 62 yards, long of 20, and that touchdown. Uh, So uh, the biggest thing I got tickled in watching the ball game is, they had a great end zone shot on one of the, I guess, on that 20-yard run. And he he maneuvered in the middle and went straight up the middle. And uh, just a absolute two Duke players coming at him, and they were seven yards away from him. Okay? But he's in the middle of the field, and he immediately goes to the slide. That's not a move you would see Jordan Travis making in any of the other times or any of the other games that he played at FSU. Uh, he stayed upright when he got on the corners got on the edges had that one nice run um uh, maneuvering down uh, moving left to right um um you know there in the in, in the ball game but that one that slide just struck me as out of nowhere and that just tells you the development of him he he, he had enough for the first down he was getting down he was getting ready to play another play
0: we forget how dynamic he is when he really gets the ball and gets going and we we saw it again last night with his legs. I ask you this Keith. I I understand why and this is this is not on Jordan Travis. I think this is how Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins have managed Jordan Travis. They need to keep him healthy. I I, I tell people it's the in case of emergency break glass. Well, they had to break the glass against Duke and go ahead and say it's an emergency we got to run Travis. So I'm saying I'm suggesting it's not that Jordan doesn't want to run or there used to EJ Manuel had that label when he played that he didn't want to run run the football. It's not this, it's not that with Jordan. Here's my question though. If if he runs starting in the first quarter in that game, does he have that kind of success or was it because you had already gone three quarters? or however long it was, and 50 plays in the football game, and he had never pulled the football that in Deacon's mind had just already decided he's never going to pull it and keep it. And so when he finally did, it was even more successful than if he had done that third play of the
1: game. Well, it's like everything else. Human nature is human nature. If you've taken 50, 55 snaps and the quarterback hasn't done something, you're not thinking about it. So it catches you a little bit by surprise. That's, that's just human nature. Um, uh had he run the ball earlier then Duke would have had the opportunity to make some defensive changes uh, between possessions and at halftime, you know, those in-game changes, those halftime changes that we talk about, which are so important. Um, I do want to go back and, and mention one other thing just to make sure that we, we focus in on it. You know, Jordan did not have his greatest day throwing the ball. He did have the pick six, et cetera, et cetera, but here's his routine numbers, Tommy. And I know you've looked at him. Here's, here's Travis on a not great night this is Travis on a not a bad night but not in a good night but but not a great night uh 27 of 36 for 268 yards and two touchdowns through the air and then you add the 62 yards on the ground and he's well over 300 yards of total offense and that's just an average day for him
0: quarterback had thrown more than one touchdown pass against Duke this year he didn't quarterback opposing quarterbacks were completing passes at like a 50 percent rate and Travis was 75 percent in this game oh by the way Travis now has multiple touchdowns accounted for in 14 straight games which is the longest streak currently in the nation and the longest for FSU since Jameis Winston did it I think 17 games oh by the way Jordan Travis is now the all-time FSU leader in total offense as he passed Chris Winkie last night so it was just another ho-hum night at the office for Travis to do that and he's still got at least five football games left, probably an ACC championship game and at least one game in the postseason, whether it's playoff or bowl. So he's got seven more games to add to that total.
1: And as a team, correct me, I do don't—I won't get this exactly right, but FSU has scored more than 30 points. Is it 14 games in a row now or 15? I think it's 13, but it, that is
0: now the longest streak right. in the nation because Penn State was at the top and they obviously looked incredibly anemic total side note keith did you feel like it was really good defense in the ohio state penn state game or just anemic offense
1: i thought it was very anemic offense and if there wasn't a gentleman there that had junior at the end of his name i'm not sure anybody would have scored very many points
0: yeah yeah marvin harrison jr was the you know he was the guy in regular speed and everybody else was in slow motion anyway that's a side note so that that drive, by the way, Keith, going back to that, and I had it. It was six and a half minutes, 96 yards. Uh, what was the actual number of plays on 14, that? 14, I believe. Yeah, 14 plays, 96 yards, 6'18". I mean, you talk about it driving the crowd, right at the crowd. The crowd was fantastic. Just waiting for FSU to get the lead, and they finally did there. And then from – you know, it reminded me of the, at the end of the LSU game, it just took a couple minutes longer. Because after that, Florida State was get the ball back, score a touchdown, get the ball back, score a touchdown. And if Elko would have let him get the ball back, they'd have scored another touchdown.
1: Well, they scored, as mentioned, three times in the fourth quarter, all, all of their possessions. Um, and, and, and I agree. If uh, Duke had given the ball back, there would have been every reason to believe FSU would have gotten one more. Uh, what would I take it to, 45? You know, if, if yeah. you're an outsider, if you're an outsider and you've not paid much attention to this game, and trust me, I've started worrying about these things because when we when when it stays four teams in the playoff, um, I know there are a number of undefeated teams, but uh, you know when there's four teams in the playoff, uh it's a beauty contest now when we when we expand to twelve, uh, you can be a uh um, a, a, a slightly other than um, beauty queen. And you probably still have a slot to get in there because all you want to do is get in there. you got to get into the playoff before you get to make anything happen. But 38-20, and you look at three scores in the fourth quarter, I, I don't know how the national media and the national folks that didn't watch the entire ballgame are going to judge that. Uh, that's, that's, I just don't know how that's going to work.
0: Well, here's the credit to, to David Hale regarding the beauty contest. Because, yeah – there is a scenario if if every league champion goes completely unbeaten, somebody's going to get left out, and we're just hoping it's not FSU. David Hale from ESPN, who we've had on this show many times, if you haven't processed everything that happened in the top 25, Keith, he just tweeted out, okay, number four, FSU trailed in the fourth quarter. Number five, Washington didn't score an offensive touchdown. Number six, Oklahoma needed a missed two-point conversion to win against UCF. Number seven, Penn State lost. Number eight, Texas got lucky on an iffy call. Number 10, UNC lost. Number 11, Bama trailed by 13 at half at home. Number 16, 17, 18, and 24, Duke, Tennessee, USC, and Iowa all lost. So I'm going a long way to say that you can nitpick FSU, but if you watch the Oklahoma game, they got lucky to win that. And I stayed up and watched the Washington game. Michael Penix Jr., who last week we were ready to hand him the Heisman, he had two interceptions and a fumble. And there were still seven minutes to go in the second quarter. He had already turned it over three times. Kenny Dillingham's team, Keith, you probably didn't stay up to watch this, but I was still. No, I did not. They were at about the 15 yard line going in with the lead. I'm probably going to get the score wrong. They were already up and they went for it on fourth instead of kicking a field goal. But on third down, there was an egregious missed pass interference call against Washington. I mean, the guy had all kinds of jersey. You couldn't miss the fact that he was holding the receiver. They don't call it. So fourth down, they go for it. He throws an out pattern, and the guy's not open, and the ball's late, and it's a 90-yard pick six for Washington that gives them the lead. And that's what turned that game. Michael Penix Jr. did nothing in that game. So anyway, I I don't know how you choose on the beauty contest. I just know that if Florida State is unbeaten after the first Saturday in Charlotte and playing a championship game, they're one of the best four teams in the country.
1: I would agree. I would agree. And speaking of beauty contests, time now for our performance of the week. Our outstanding performance of the week always brought to you by Primary Bank and there's no secret and no uh, suspense in what we're going to talk about now but that that 99-yard kickoff return from uh, Deuce Span. Um I mean he was shot out of a rocket and and I don't think anybody touched him. I mean that was perfectly executed. We'd have to ask, and maybe on Monday, Coach Paputius will will tell us, but you know, there there appeared to be an intentional uh want to bring the ball out because they did that a couple of times. Uh, and it was just good to see. Uh, I think Deuce is probably one of the most appreciated players on this team by his teammates and underappreciated by the fans because he he simply hasn't had the opportunities to make plays like he did. But that 99-yard uh, kickoff return was truly outstanding. Oh, pardon me. Our performance of the week is always brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank. Two locations in Tallahassee, one down in Crawfordville, one in Lakeland. Uh, stop by and say hello. You can catch them on the web at www.trymybank.com. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender and a really, really good friend of the program for many, many years. Way to go, Deuce. Jordan even talked about him uh, at the national tail end um, uh, with Holly uh, interview uh, coming off the field. Uh, And and I, I've, I just, you tell me you're around the team a lot more than I am, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find a player that isn't more appreciated and loved uh, that doesn't have the stats that make us as fans really know who he is and that being Deuce Span.
0: I think there's still a lot of excitement about what Deuce can be before he finishes his career I mean if you project to next year and Johnny's not here and Keon's not here you still got a lot of good receiver talent on this football team and Deuce is one of them as a converted quarterback that uh, I mean think about the first game of the year he hasn't done a lot but they were They run that end around where he's going to throw the football and he, he he runs two LSU defenders by retreating 20 yards and then off balance rolling to his right. He throws a dime to Johnny Wilson for a first down. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. Uh, there, There's a few unsung heroes we should mention for last night. I'm glad you gave Deuce his due because we should have done that earlier. That, by the way, it was 17-7. The crowd was stunned. Travis had just thrown the pick six. FSU needed something. And you don't just get a touchdown on the next drive; you get it in the ne- on the next play. Exactly. I mean that 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 is unbelievable that it happened that way. Uh, it's as if to say to Duke, "Hey, we're don't worry, we're still for real over here on this sideline too." You know, don't. Well, it, and Deuce
1: just said, "Yeah, you want you want to see Brinson run a touchdown? Let me show you how you run a touchdown, and, and it's not from a handoff. I'm gonna catch yeah. this in the air."
0: what I was going to say, so Jaheim Bell had a career high eight receptions and the tight ends figured prominently based on what Duke was trying to take away, which they concentrated on the outside receivers. And there was, there was a lot of stuff in the flats and a lot of stuff in the seams. And so, I mean, it, Bell would be a primary weapon or the first weapon for a lot of football teams. And and here he is third on the list, his opponents line up against FSU, but he's pretty doggone good. And by the way, Morlock had some catches in that game and so did Marquise did. I mean, the tight ends were prominent.
1: Bell, Tommy Bell could line up and has occasionally at tailback uh, at 242 pounds. And I'm going to go way back, way back. Our listeners are going to be just reconfirm that the old man has lost his, you know what. But he could be a George Rogers. If FSU chose to line him up in the tailback position and just let him run the ball, he, he's he got that much talent with the ball in his hand, in my opinion.
0: George Rogers, South Carolina, 19th winner. You, did you play against
1: him? I did. Did you play? I did. We beat him 27 to 7. He had 180 yards rushing, they had about 225 yards of total offense. And he's the one that was running down when I missed the read and I missed the angle and I jumped and I was eight yards behind him. And it reminds me of my favorite Jerry Clower story about how there's no worse feeling on the football field than laying on your belly, looking up through your face mask. And the man, what you were supposed to have tackled, is running away from you. And his jersey number is getting smaller and smaller and smaller.
0: (laughs) I'm glad that we put that on a tee for you, Keith, so you could share that story. <laughs> he, Heikem Williams, too, has uh, he had his first touchdown last week. That was a big third-down catch he made, and and he's starting Certainly to was. show up in the offense, too.
1: Certainly was. And how about, you know, we talk about this Norvell offense uh, and how wide open it is, but is there another offense, other than maybe the Chiefs, or, or way back in the day, Belichick's um, uh, uh, New England offense. Is there another offense at, at the collegiate level that utilizes the tight end in so many different ways?
0: I don't. I don't watch everybody play, so I can't answer that. But I know when you're on one drive in the first touchdown drive of the game, three different tight ends caught the football on one drive. Exactly. So, Pretty special. Also, I I like the fact that Norvell's offense has enough to it that if they're taking away A, B, and C, he'll go to D, E, and F and move things around. And I I know, you know, people were frustrated about that fourth down call, but I don't know how much else you'd find fault with in that game last night. You'd find fault with the execution, but I don't know that you'd find much fault beyond that. And let's go back to this, and this is a credit to Jordan Travis. You know, he forced the ball. it was intercepted, Keith. Did you ever feel like if FSU had just lined up and said, we're not even going to try to run the ball, we're going to throw every down, that Duke was going to be able to stop that? Because when Florida State got humming, I mean, there's there's guy open every play as long as you're willing to take the five-yard throw.
1: That last part of your statement is is what the Duke scheme is all about, is that we're going to make you execute. You're going to have to have 13 and 14 play drives to score against us. And we're going to bet on the fact that you're going to get impatient. One of your – either as a play caller, you're going to get impatient. One of your players are going to get impatient. One of your players – I mean, if I've got 13 opportunities, okay, versus six opportunities, I'm twice as likely to to, to to cause a fumble or create an interception. In other words, I want you to have those shots, because you're going to have to take everything in front of us. And every one of those things is going to have to be within a very small tolerance. And if you make the least mistake, we're going to take advantage of it. And that's what that entire three, three, five, especially the way Duke runs it is all about. And they executed it unbelievably well through three quarters.
0: So let's, I, I know we've been going long, but there's a lot to talk about here, Keith, let me just go through FSU's final Game notes here. Some other things, some other nuggets for you, if you will. <clears throat> Twenty-two and zero all time against Duke Keith. That's the most wins without a loss by one current Power Five team against another Power Five team in the entire history of the poll, which dates to nineteen thirty-six. So there's no series in college football that's been as dominated and one-sided as what FSU against Duke is. Twenty-two and zero. That's amazing.
1: By the way, technically, I think it's twenty and zero because there's two vacated wins in there. Who's counting?
0: I was wondering where that discrepancy came from. Thank you for pointing that out. I think both schools' notes, though, are listed in 22, so I don't know.
1: Well, they don't play by um, the rules anymore because the NCAA is stupid.
0: You want to talk about sign stealing, by the way? We can have some fun with that one, too. Well, here's the other, um, here's
1: the whole thing about sign stealing. That's not the problem. They're, everybody's talking about it. Sign, that's not the problem. What's illegal is for you scouting. to take one of your staff and send them to personally scout a team you're fixing the play. Look at me, Tommy. Listeners, listen to me. If you're not stealing signs, you're not racing. The old, if you ain't, if you ain't rubbing, you ain't racing. We stole signs all the time. Monk was a lip reader. I'd start calling the defensive signals because Monk would look over to the opposing sideline, and he'd say they called 37XYW, whatever that means.
0: Yeah, this one to me. Yeah, and you're right. It's not the sign stealing. Like the 2013 National Championship game, I don't have a problem with Auburn or Damian Craig. That was on Jimbo for not covering up the signs or changing them. Exactly. Credit credit to Auburn. No, I think it's, it's the brazenness and audacity for Michigan, who's got enough quality football players that they don't need to be advanced scouting their non-conference opponents as well as their conference opponents to do that. See, we got off on another tangent, Keith. But that's – to me, it's – it's akin to we all know that everybody's cheating in college football and has been for years if you're going 80 in the 70 mile an hour speed zone we're not really that worried about it but if you start driving 100 then people are going to start talking about how you're going a little and this is what michigan did why, why are you doing that you don't need to do that okay we got off on a tangent where was i i was i was, I was reading through other nuggets. things here. you
1: were you were working on nuggets not chicken strips
0: One is- chicken nuggets 27 completions. That sounds like a a fishing opportunity for a sponsor there, throwing that out there. 27 completions by Jordan Ties' career high. Uh, One TD pass in 18 straight games. That's the longest stretch since Jameis had 27 straight games with a TD pass. Deuce fans kickoff return, fifth longest in FSU history. Trey Benson goes over 1,500 career rushing yards. Career high, eight catches for Jaheem Bell. Kyle Morlock is over a thousand yards receiving in his career. Of course, a lot of that's at shorter. First career interception by, for Shaheen Brown. How about that interception, Keith? That Unbelievable. Was, Unbelievable. That was not a routine, not a no. routine play.
1: No. That was a, a truly remarkable physical play by him.
0: This one surprises me, and Fabian had a lot I talked to Fabian Lovett after the game. He had two tackles for loss. It's his first career game with multiple tackles for loss. Now, I guess that's because he's in the interior, not on the edge. But he's he's so tough when he's 100%. He said after the game, it's he said it's good to finally feel right again, which which tells you that he's not been right all season.
1: I was just fixing to say this, this looked like uh, the first game that he felt good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's – there's gonna be some injury questions going forward for Florida State. Johnny Wilson, I don't know that we're gonna see him next week. And, and by the Tate way,
1: Bethoud. have you confirmed what the or at least perceived what the injury was? Because the on the T V replay it looked like a knee. But then there was a conversation about maybe it might have been concussion related or a shoulder. Did was there any clarification of that when you left the stadium? I didn't I didn't get clarification on okay. that now. Okay. So you got Johnny Tatum Bethune
0: got hurt late. DJ Long and the linebackers. I mean, sort of like the safety position. Florida State doesn't have a lot of depth at linebackers, so if those guys can't go, that's an issue. And there's somebody else I'm leaving out, and it's escaping me right now. Or maybe those are the biggest ones. Duke. You know, Duke has a corner who's six foot four, and he did not play last night because he's got a bad hammy, and he's twenty five years old, Keith. Duke's starting cornerbacks, his name is escaping me, Miles something. He's 25. Al Blades Jr. turns 24 tomorrow. That's Duke's starting corners. It's a seventh-year guy and a six year guy. But missing a 6'4 corner, and Duke would tell you this, that's not insignificant against that FSU offense. We
1: we talked about in our midweek show that, uh, that this version of Duke was BYU East. For our listeners that have forgotten, remember the NCAA has a, a – uh, a, a special rule for BYU that allows their players to do their two year mission trips um, and not have that count as red shirt or against their years of eligibility. So anytime you play BYU, you're playing a, you know, a squad that's got half of their players that are 23 and 24 years of age. And ha- half of them are married. Uh, and that's who you were playing against Duke last night. You were playing. Uh, and, and one of the reasons, particularly defensively, they're so good. You mentioned the com- corners, you take someone that's been playing, although it's a, it's a different system. I know, second year coach for Elko, but you you take a kid that's played at the collegiate level five or six years, and and maybe they're a three or four star recruit, and maybe they don't have all the physical talents. Although six four go a long way, you can take those guys and really do some creative things with them schematically that you can't do with eighteen and nineteen year olds that don't have the experience at the collegiate level. So hats off to Duke and particularly their coaching staff for what they've uh, recognized as a strength and how they've taken advantage of it.
0: All right, let's finish up on this, Keith. Florida State's 5-0 in the ECC. You now have the tiebreaker
1: over over Duke. Yeah, we were going to do a show on that, and, and it took care of itself, didn't it?
0: It did. I, I figured it would, and I kind of think that the the national college playoff picture will take care of itself too, let's hope. But after FSU, there's four teams with one loss Louisville is three and one. North Carolina is three and one. Duke is two and one. And Virginia Tech is two and one. Virginia Tech, if they went out, could be in the ACC championship game. Process that, Keith. Process I that. My head hurt. More to the point, though, Duke plays Louisville this coming week. They also play North Carolina. I think there's a pretty good chance we're going to see Duke again. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe North Carolina has laid its one egg that they typically do under Mac Brown for the year and losing to Virginia, and maybe they'll come back and they'll they'll beat Duke. Um, but we may not have seen the last of Riley Leonard.
1: Uh, I, I hope we have because a, a healthy Riley Leonard is a very, very dangerous quarterback. Uh, before we actually check out, though, Tommy, I'd like to bring up one last thing. We have not discussed whether either one of us uh, either were or were not on the Clemson bandwagon. Uh, Would you like to express your position?
0: Well, related to the, the national perception in that conversation, it would have been better for FSU if Clemson kept winning, just as it's going to be better for FSU if LSU keeps winning. Now, the flip side is if Miami can get rolling, Maybe they sneak into the top 25, but I think Miami's season already with two losses, they're not going to be high enough ranked when they come in that you're going to get any kind of credit for beating them. It is what it is. Florida State needs to – those control what you can control, Bucket, and FSU can't control any of that. They just got to keep winning football games on their end.
1: I teed it up for you, and you whiffed. My comment and question was directed towards the comment that Dabo Sweeney made during the week. Oh, the bandwagon? He said he he was afraid he had too many people on the bandwagon and uh, that, you know, um, you keep winning and then the expectation gets too high. And maybe we need to get some people off of the bandwagon. So hats off to Coach Sweeney and his staff for making a non-scheduled stop and taking about half of their fan base and throwing them over the side.
0: Well, Dabo's going to be in the media again this week because after the game last night, somebody asked him a question about having a team psychologist or somebody to counsel the players, and he said, "Oh yeah, we got them, but they're probably on suicide watch right now." Ooh. So that that's Ooh. not going
1: to that's not going to be very Ooh. well received this week. Ooh, and that one's not that- even funny. That's not what was the. Uh... Oh, we've heard it a million times. Who was the head coach at uh, Tampa Bay when they went 0-27 to start or whatever?
0: With yeah, John Robinson? McKay.
1: B- McKay. John McKay. Yeah. How do you feel about the execution of your offense? I'm in favor I'm in, of it.
0: I'm in favor of it. Exactly right. <laughs> I thought of one last thing, Keith, and I don't know how they changed this rule, but this goes to Duke's point, uh, the point that Duke has so many smart veteran football players. Late in that game, and again, it might have been the drive before Florida State took the lead. It was in the fourth quarter. FSU switched running backs late, probably 20 on the play clock when they made the switch. Well, that means that the center judge gets over the football and the defense can now make a change. Normally, when this happens, you see the big defensive lineman, the 300-pounder, is trying to sprint to the sideline and another 300-pounder is sprinting in not at Duke, where they're smart enough to know if you give it half an effort, the officials are still going to stand over the football. So the guy running off the field, he kind of makes it look like he's laboring to get to the sideline without going fast. And the guy coming in kind of makes it look like he's working hard to get lined up without going fast. And the result is that the center judge doesn't move until there's four seconds left on the play clock. I know exactly the
1: play you're talking about.
0: And Jordan is going nuts because he can see this unfolding. He can't do anything. And I don't know what the fix is, but I'm seeing more and more teams do this, Keith. Boston College did something similar against FSU this year, and I certainly don't want them to pause the play clock while the substitutions happen, but it does feel like there's going to be a need to be an adjustment on this at some point if teams can just run down the play clock by having a guy slowly substitute.
1: I know the exact play you're talking about because it registered with me when it was happening. Uh, and I don't have an answer either. I don't have an answer either. That'll be an interesting uh, uh, thing to see if, um, you know, it's kind of like the fast paced offenses, you know, the offenses are like to go in a hurry. You know, they, the coaches talk about training your kids who to give the ball to. And when you have an offense that normally doesn't go fast paced, that tries to go fast paced, they'll give the ball to the nearest judge, which is normally a guy on the outside. No, you want to find the guy on the inside. Because you give the ball to the guy on the outside, he's got to take the time to throw the ball to the boy on the inside, blah, 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 blah. It's all part of this game that's a whole lot different than uh, some of us remember.
0: Should we call it, Keith? We it's should call an it. an important football game because we went full hour. So we got weight coming
1: this. up. We got weight coming up, noon, noon kick uh, in a place that FSU, at least recently, has not played very well, correct?
0: Correct. Read into this as you want. Uh, Wake played its third-string quarterback because its top two quarterbacks were out of the ballgame yesterday, and they beat Pittsburgh. So that's FSU's next two opponents. Wake has not been any good this year, but they just won a football game with a third-string quarterback. By the way, I think the original starter will be back next week for Wake. We'll see. Anyway, it's good that FSU has those two games, and then they get Miami in here. So 7-0, and turn the page. We'll do this again midweek. Sounds good. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles.